this is a paper that we've just finished, um, which is trying to look at some of the issues that came up in the debates after the launch of the MPI. There's also a sister paper, and both of these will be as OFI working papers probably next week. Um, and the sister paper, um, which I've done, just looks more at the MPI, multidimensional poverty index, from a data perspective. It illustrates some of the decisions that were taken and goes a bit more into issues of weights than this current paper does. Um, so, and, and this paper will come out in the June issue of Journal Economic Inequality alongside a paper by Martin Revalian on multidimensional indices of poverty, MIPS, and a paper by Jenny Klugman on the 2010 Human Development Index and its change of functional form. Um, so, the outline will really show you the sense of the paper. It's really a paper trying to clarify what we think was already stated, but has become very evident that is, has been misunderstood a great deal. And so there's not a lot of new content. There's one or two things that I'll signal, but it's, it's mostly just trying to restate and clarify and draw attention sort of in a slow freeze frame um, way uh, some of the aspects of our approach, multidimensional approaches to poverty. So we begin, as most folks working on measurement do, with Sen's 1976 paper and draw attention yet again, as many people have done, to the two stages, in addition to identifying the space in which poverty, measured, poverty is to be measured, a poverty measure should identify who is poor and should also aggregate um, information about poor people into an overall measure of poverty for the society. Um, and then we go further into basically just the unidimensional methods in what is, I think, a very usual way for us. And so I won't go through this very much, but setting up a vector in a unidimensional case of some achievements, let's call them incomes, and some poverty cutoff, and then creating different vectors from that. So this is for the Foster-Greer-Thorbeck um, family of indices where you can create a deprivation vector simply giving people one if they are below the poverty cutoff and zero if they are not. And the mean of that vector is the headcount ratio. And the poverty gap measure the f um, in which you take a normalized gap figure um, or a s square the gap. And in both cases, the FGT indices are simply the mean of the vector. So that's the standard notation and the standard approach. But I think what we try to emphasize is that, in a sense, what is usually termed unidimensional measures are often underlying, um, in some underlying way, multidimensional. And this is a paper a point Revalian also makes in his paper, that actually there is aggregation within the space of achievement. So let's say you have income from your parents and income from a scholarship and income from research assistance jobs. So you will put that together and aggregate it to create your income. Um, and so that's done for income data, it's done for expenditure data. It also might be done with what are usually thought of as other dimensions of data um, to create, to use some composite measure which is argued to reflect welfare. We think that they're very difficult, uh, lots of difficulties in doing that, especially if the data are not cardinal. But you could think of that, and you could also think of a utility function. I think the problem with some of these more, or beyond income and expenditure, the, the questions to ask are the evident ones. Is this really um, a, 
a space in which, which can be meaningfully aggregated into a cardinally meaningful indicator. Um, and then do the aggregates reflect not only the overall achievement level, but also trade-offs. So as the composition of your aggregate, if, as the individual compositions shift, um, does it move in the right direction? Um, can all components be freely traded and merged? Is there, um, these are the, the, the assumptions that you're making. Um, and then what are the empirical weights if you move to a composite index or a utility function for the functional form and, and, and the weights that you apply. The other conceptual point um, which we observe is that in your classic unidimensional measure, a shortfall in any one of the variables um, is not of concern. So there's, there's, it can be completely compensated by gains in another variable. So I think there's nothing new there, it's just laying the ground and especially because of this discussion which is saying why can't we simply aggregate an achievement space and then set deprivation cutoffs. We then move to try to think of what multidimensional poverty measures are. And again, like many others, we draw on Bergignon Chakravarti's point in their 2003 paper in the Journal of Economic Inequality where they say that a multidimensional poverty measure puts a deprivation cutoff on each dimension so that a shortfall in each dimension gains some kind of independent importance. That will vary a great deal depending on what you do afterwards. Um, and we also observe in, in our approach that this means that ordinal data can be used um, in, in a valid way. What we are trying to do, and this is the bit of the paper that may still be changing, is to clarify different types of multidimensional poverty measures based on the, the operations that they include and the order in which these operations are conducted. Setting deprivation cutoffs, aggregating across dimensions, setting a poverty cutoff, um, identifying who is deprived, identifying who is poor. As we look across the very different kinds of multidimensional poverty measures there are, and this paper is simply focused on axiomatic ones and not on the fuzzy set or the information theory or all the other kinds of approaches that are out there. But even within these, we see a great variety. So I'm going to give a stab at um, identifying the one we are not looking at. And we call it a marginal measure. And basically, a marginal measure applies a deprivation. You have a series of column vectors, let's say. They may not have rows because they may be for different units of analysis. You might have a child and a, uh, a family measure, a mother's measure. You apply a deprivation cutoff for each vector of achievements, and then you construct an aggregate with some, um, some function of, of their, each of those vectors. So an example of that is the human poverty index which uses the probability of not surviving to the age of 40, child malnutrition, access to water. Um, so these, these different kinds of the percentage of, of the population who do not have access to water or the percentage of children who are malnourished and creates an aggregate of them. Marginal measures are very convenient. Um, we don't go into a lot of their, their properties in, in this, we just mentioned it in a paragraph, but they use data from different surveys. You can bring together analyses for different reference groups. You can use um, data that refer to deprivations that have a different order of magnitude of incidence. So combine something on maternal mortality, a regularly infrequent event, with something much more frequent. Um, so there are many, many strengths 
but the one thing we are trying really to signal is that they do not look at joint distribution. <clears throat> so the rest of the paper will focus on measures that reflect joint distribution, and because that's, I think, the bit of our work that's not understood so clearly or that we were not able to express clearly, we've had a go at doing it a little bit better. So um, a joint measure applies a deprivation vector, uh, a, a deprivation cutoff, um, so that we know if each person is deprived in each dimension. But now we move to a matrix. So we have a row for each unit of analysis, a person, a household, um, whatever it is. Um, and then we identify for each row, the person or the household, whether or not they are poor. So identification is not only at the level of individual dimensions, but also simply for, for your unit of analysis. And then that is aggregated. And we feel that this accomplishes identification in a way that the HPI measure, for example, does not. I give an example in, in, in a different thing, that if, if there's a man <clears throat> and he doesn't have sanitation, um, his wife has perished and his child is malnourished, and those are the three indicators, maternal mortality, child malnutrition, and water in a poverty measure. Is that man poor? In a marginal measure, we do not know because a marginal measure simply identifies deprivations of different population groups, but it doesn't, doesn't identify each person in the society or each household in the society, whether or not they are poor. Um, and so the multidimensional poverty index and any measure coming from our class of measures, but also others, um, at the stage of identification, um, reflect joint distribution. There might be, and this is where it gets a bit tricky, and I don't think we've, we've, we've solved it yet, there, there are many measures that might identify with a union-based approach, and then in their aggregate form, um, reflect joint distribution. And the bourguignon chakrarty measures, for example, might do that. <clears throat> so the next thing that we do is um, basically just to do a freeze-frame rehash of our methodology of constructing uh, poverty measures. So I'm not going to go through that. <laughs> um, but we set deprivation cutoffs, we set weights, um, we sum across the weighted deprivations for each individual to create their, their sort of the count, the weighted count of deprivations that they experience. We then set a poverty cutoff across that weighted count and identify each person as poor or non-poor overall based on their um, their, the joint distribution of their disadvantages. We can use a union approach in which every deprivation matters and you do not need weights to identify who is poor. We can also use an intersection approach in which you have to be deprived in everything and with our measure you can, you can go in between them. Um, so that is, is how we do identification and then the matrices uh, censor the data of people who are deprived and this is apparently quite a tricky step. Um, and so because it's the part that's most commonly misunderstood, we go through it very, very simply. If you have achievements, there's no problem getting from a matrix of achievements. Um, this is the same matrix we, we used again and again with a vector of poverty cutoffs to a matrix of deprivations, which is the matrix on the left-hand side where all of the numbers with underscore um, 
are deprived and they all become ones and all the rest become zeros. What is much more confusing um, because it is not done in unidimensional poverty measures and so we find again and again that colleagues are overlooking it is this step of censoring. So let's say you have a poverty cutoff of two which means that a person has to be deprived in two dimensions in order to be poor and this person is deprived in a total of one dimension so they are not poor. So we move and we censor that deprivation and we replace it with a zero because we are now only focusing on the deprivations of poor people <clears throat> and all of the measures that we construct are based on the censored matrix and that's very very commonly misunderstood so we just sort of go through that in exhaustive detail <laughs> um, and then again stress that it's on the basis of the censored matrix that we decompose um, by subgroup um, to give the poverty of different states, the poverty of different ethnic groups or different religious groups to look at the percentage of people who are poor, the head count or the intensity, the percentage of deprivations in which the average person is deprived, weighted deprivations. So all of those decompositions rely on the censored matrix. And the importance of that comes out in debate because the debate is if you are basically going to create a measure and then look at its component parts, look at the head counts, um, look at um, the head counts of each dimension as well, then why, do, why don't you just start with all of those measures? Why do you need a single aggregate measure. And we're simply trying to point out that all of the measures that we construct are constructed from a censored matrix. And obviously, after identification, you can decompose by dimension, um, either to see the percentage of people who are poor and deprived in whatever dimension, for example, nutrition, or to see the percentage contribution that that particular dimension gives to overall poverty. Uh, the percentage contribution includes the weights that you affix on each dimension and the censored headcounts simply look at the dimension itself and is basically looking at the margin of, of the matrix. We also in this section do interact a little bit with uh, Chakravarti and Renata Mukherjee 1998 paper which is the first paper to my knowledge which um, argued for the value of an axiom of factor decomposability. It argued that if we have multidimensional measures of poverty, they should not only be decomposable by subgroup, but also by factor in order to drive policy. However, the way that Chakravarti and colleagues elucidated factor decomposability requires a union method of identification. It requires a person to be, every person who has any deprivation, to be poor. And what we have tried to show is that um, a union method uh, will perhaps include deprivations that would not um, that, that might be valued to the person or that might not be serious enough to, to, to make them poor. Um, we give an example in this paper of work with Schumann um, where in a measure in India we found that over 90% of people were deprived in at least one deprivation and if your poverty is 90% it's a bit unwieldy for policy purposes. Um, 
So therefore, we argue that post-identification factor decomposability is, is, is important, but that full factor decomposability may not be as important um, unless one is comparing it with a different version. And the remainder of the paper basically goes one by one through five mis misunderstandings. Um, and the first of these I've already mentioned, and it's the misunderstanding about sensory, and also about the importance of looking at joint distribution. So um, the, the question is really, what is the value added of a measure which looks for each person at each deprivation in their lives? Um, and instead of taking different data sources where your quality of data might be higher, or you might have data for a greater range of dimensions and forming a composite. There are many empirical studies that we um, don't go into, but do in other places. This is an example. Um, in this matrix, uh, the marginal, okay, your, your head count in each of the dimensions is a quarter. A quarter of the people in each of these four dimensions in the four matrices are deprived in one of the, in each dimension. So there are four dimensions, four people, and a quarter of the people are deprived in each dimension, which is why you get the 0.25. Okay, are you with me? Um, but going across the rows, you'll see that one person is deprived in each of the four in this matrix. Three people are deprived in nothing, and one person is deprived in all four of them in the first matrix. And so the joint distribution, who is poor, varies. Um, now, if you have any marginal measure, you will not be able to distinguish these two situations. So HPI, you would not be able to distinguish. Anything in which the poverty measure is just a function of this marginal vector um, will see these two situations as the same. And we think it's quite important to distinguish we observe that actually, if you use union identification, even with our methodology, the measure, the poverty measure, M0, is the same. Its value is 0.25 for both matrices. However, if you go into the partial indices that are the basis of M0, or that are a more intuitive way of understanding it, then you see the difference. In the first matrix, the head count is 0.25. That is, one person is poor, and three people are non-poor. And the intensity, the average intensity of poor people in that matrix is one, because the one person who's poor is poor in 100% of the dimensions. In the second matrix, M0 is still the same, 0.25, but in this case, 100% of the people are poor, because everyone's deprived in something, but the average intensity is 0.25 because they're all in, deprived in, on average, one of the four dimensions, and we're doing them equally weighted um, for simplicity. <laughs> but if you use any other identification method, and this may be the importance of looking at joint distribution at the stage of identification, as well as in an aggregate measure and its partial indices, then you see a difference. So if a person has to be deprived in two dimensions to be considered poor, then this measure does not change. The M0 remains 0.25, 
and dd would be 0.25 if k equals 3 or k equals 4, if the poverty cutoff was anything up to 4, the measure, the head count, and the intensity would remain unchanged. But in this matrix, um, if k equals 2, that is if you require a person to be deprived in two dimensions, then nobody is poor. So poverty is 0, and it would also be 0 for k equals 3 and k equals 4. So again, this is going very, very slowly, but it's just trying to take people back to the very, the, the basic level of um, why joint identification, or looking at the, the joint distribution of deprivations uh, matters for identifying who is poor and for the um, measures that come out of it in our approach and trying to demonstrate the value added in a range of others. The second, I think, is a, is a very easy misunderstanding, but it comes up a lot, and so we identify it, which is that uh, all of the data for measures that reflect the joint distribution of disadvantage need to come either from the same survey or from surveys where you can link individual level data. Um, clearly, that's not strictly true. If you have a community-level health survey, you could give everybody in the community the same value for a, a particular dimension. Or you could also construct variables. But insofar as possible, to actually look at each person's um, situation, you will need data that are valid from the same survey. Um, this is a very similar understanding to the one that comes up in the Sarkozy Commission for the Measurement of Economic Performance and Social Progress, um, which came out in 2009 that was chaired by Joe Stiglitz, Amartya Sen, and Jean-Paul Fitoussi in the Quality of Life Working Group and write-up of that commission's findings. They stress that not only for deprivation, but also for well-being and quality of life measurement. It's vital to have information on the joint distribution of achievements and deprivations. And so they argue for more and better data um, from the same survey instrument and really for a reformulation of, of how surveys are constructed so that that can happen. So there's just a quote from them. Um, A third misunderstanding um, again comes up a lot, and it is that a lot of the criticisms of the multidimensional poverty index, which we um, did with the United Nations Development Program for the Human Development Report in 2010 and are updating now in 2011, um, a lot of the criticisms of the MPI were uh, arranged as if they were criticisms of the methodology. And so we addressed that at two stages. And the first is simply to articulate the difference because it, again, to our surprise, is not understood. Um, that our methodology can be used with any dimensions, any units of analysis, any cutoffs, any weights. Um, and it really depends, as we'll see in a moment, on the purpose of the measure and um, the, the data that are available. Um, the multidimensional poverty index is merely one example. It's an example that's operational. It could be implemented for more than 100 countries, which was our aim in doing so. Um, and it tries to show a little bit of the insights, even at, with such crude um, data and comparisons, a little bit of the, the insights that come out from looking at different dimensions side by side. Um, however, many of its 
many of the criticisms of it, very rightly, are criticisms of the choice of weights or the choice of cutoffs. Um, and so we just wanted to first distinguish that they are different. It's like um, if you have some sort of software that's a wizard, and then you have the answer that comes out of the wizard, um, or, or, or one answer of your tax return or of your um, whatever you're using a wizard for. Um, so the methodology is, is very general, and the MPI is simply one example of it. There's also confusions which surprise us between um, multidimensional poverty measures and the Human Development Index. And it's just to say that um, poverty measures will censor anyone whose achievements are above the poverty line. Inequality measures will look at the distribution with an eye to measuring the range of the distribution. And welfares look at the achievement of all members of society with no censoring of anyone. And the HDI is a welfare measure. Um, so again, we're just in one paragraph trying to say the obvious. I think this, uh, the next section we try to be a little bit more um, pointed and say, well, how do you criticize this methodology? Um, you know, and, and encourage and invite criticism, but also try to distinguish criticism from implementation, which is not addressed in this paper, from criticism of uh, the methodology per se. As I said at the beginning, there are many different approaches to measuring poverty, and this is one member of one minor approach, which is an axiomatic uh, methodology. And usually in these approaches, then uh, a poverty measure would be judged acceptable or not acceptable, or an inequality measure or a welfare measure, according to the um, properties or the axioms that it satisfies. And so a methodology is most properly critiqued by identifying desirable properties that it systematically fails to exhibit, or errors in its own claims as to the properties that it does exhibit. For example, in our methodology, there is discontinuity around the poverty line. That may or may not be an issue in some cases, and you, would, you could specify that a bit more. Or one might want to say, well, what are, um, what are other uh, relationships between dimensions that you might want it to address, like um, some of the correlation increasing transfers or whatever that Bourguignon and Chakravarti do. And so we simply say that there are many, many calibration critiques um, which have been put forward for the multidimensional poverty index and for others, and that these are very, very common, and they are very common with unidimensional poverty measures. There's great agreement, disagreement which variables to use, whether to use income or consumption for poverty, where to set the poverty line, what PPP rates to use, as there will also be great discussion for multidimensional measures or about weights or cutoffs, but that these are calibration critiques um, and they're really not critiques of the measure. There's a different class of uh, critiques which is basically uh, how should poverty measures relate to social welfare. Um, and we address two and I think we will do a lot more on this in the future. First of all, we observe that measuring welfare is very difficult, and we're not trying to do that. Um, and we have identified, you know, and I mentioned just intuitively earlier, many of the very challenging assumptions that must be uh, um, satisfied in order to come up with 
uh, uh, an adequate welfare measure that would reflect multiple dimensions of welfare or of quality of life. Um, even if these could be met, and I, I talked about trade-offs, I talked about um, ways of aggregating achievements, then there are likely to be several different acceptable welfare functions and it's not very clear to know how can we transform this welfare function to a poverty measure. So this is going back to where we discussed unidimensional measures. If we could genuinely make a multidimensional welfare aggregate, then people would be saying, well, why don't you do that? Why don't you make a genuine wel multidimensional welfare measure and then set up a poverty cutoff across it? And the response at this point in time is that that is much harder to do. It's much harder to make a genuinely multidimensional welfare indicator. We don't know how to do it. Um, and so this is uh, an easier way to go forward. Another way of uh, exploring the relationship between poverty measures and welfare is to say, is it consistent? Is, is a poverty measure consistent with some intuitions that we have about welfare? And again, we are, in a sense, exploring it. Um, but we were simply observing some tensions with this uh, angle of criticism. Because in practice, most countries will use uh, the percentage of people who are poor as their primary indicator of poverty. And when they use another indicator, it might be a poverty gap measure, but usually not a squared poverty gap measure. And we simply observe that there are problems in terms of social welfare uh, and huge tensions with using a head count. Um, a head count of poverty might go down a little tiny bit and all the gains of the rich uh, would be uh, out of its view, uh, which from a welfare perspective would be uh, untenable. And also, among the poor, um, a person, a very poor person might be further impoverished to get somebody out of poverty, so regressive transfers might improve the situation. So there are many examples like this we can give um, where, where there are tensions between the measures actually implemented. And so we basically step back and say this is a very preliminary work um, and the multidimensional measure uh, that we have constructed and, and the one that is most widely used is the, the one that's valid for ordinal data, that that does, is not making, and we, we clarify, that's not making huge claims in terms of social welfare. It's simply trying to be one step better than giving an effective zero weight to all other dimensions. And in the final section, um, we turn to the question of calibration um, and step one step back from all of the discussions of what the weights should be, uh, what the poverty cutoffs should be, and try to observe that the methodology that we propose and that others propose, because there are many uh, good multidimensional poverty measures methodologies floating around, are general frameworks. Um, and they could think of, be thought of as open source because the user can um, calibrate them, choose the parameters in a way that they want. So in, in poverty, they calibrate them by choosing the variable, the poverty line, and the PPP. And in practice, as we know, these decisions are controversial, and so the designer of a measure at a national level or other places are going to defend their choices, try to explain and defend their choices against people who would have chosen differently and also implement robustness tests. And so we basically simply identify five considerations in calibrating multidimensional poverty measures. Um, 
One is very clearly, t and, and these draw directly on Sen's uh, work on poverty measurement in unidimensional space. Um, but to clarify the purpose of the evaluative exercise, uh, a targeting measure will have different characteristics that it must fulfill, different kinds of accuracies than a national poverty measure. Um, and also consider formal constraints um, that might exist, uh, whether it's in a constitution or legal documents that might require certain dimensions to be part of a measure, as they were in Mexico, where we did get a bit, give an example of how, given the requirements that were um, set out in that context, their identification and weighting structure was the only one that would fulfill uh, the requirements if you had some assumptions that you were using about the accuracy of data in measuring the social deprivations. We also observe that you need to choose the space. Is it going to be a measure in the space of capabilities, resources, and think clearly about mixed space or mixed, in a sense, time, which I should have also put there, um, which period of time you are looking at. And then is the, what are the choice mechanisms uh, for issues that are genuinely valued judgments? Um, are they participatory, deliberative, um, or is it simply transparency and inviting feedback? And then the last is, as in the same way as unidimensional poverty measures, one will want to subject everything to robustness tests, both to see how stable the measure is and also to see the extent to which it would be accurate for people who take uh, different views on some of those value judgments. Um, and the last is um, a, a very large consideration or a very large set of questions came up about how easy it would be to manipulate multidimensional poverty measures. We simply observe it's actually quite easy to manipulate any poverty measures and the methodology cannot guard against that. Um, and so try to draw attention to some features that can, that, that, that folks who cannot protect against manipulation can try to do, which is create measures that are easy enough to understand and create um, ways of sh sharing them that are, e again, that seem transparent so that people um, will be able to detect and complain if they disagree with how they're constructed. The extent to which that will actually happen, we don't know, but that um, it was the final criticism within uh, the calibration section. Um, and so we conclude simply by observing that uh, there have been questions about why a single measure of poverty, of multidimensional poverty, is needed and why it adds value over a dashboard of indicators and then why in our case it adds value given that alongside any single measure of poverty we always use these other indicators. And so we try to answer that in a very obvious way by saying that if you have a measure that can show in a consistent way um, changes across time, um, then that will answer the question of whether poverty has gone up or gone down. If you have a set of eight measures which move in different directions and there's no overall measure, then the next year when the media want to know if poverty has gone up or down, or if you want to look at dynamic changes and look, look at interconnections, um, it will be less able to do so. So we thought that there is some value in trying to have consistency um, and, uh, and, and then a set of sub-indices, partial indices and decompositions, which link back to that overall measure. So that's 